podcast 199 we're getting awfully close and it's entitled what actually happens and you've just heard i've never seen love like this by orpheus uh, mary and i had the real major unique privilege of hearing them perform it the old band themselves performed this song i might add not all that confidently last year at berkeley school of music in boston but nevertheless the song is great and i want to talk a little bit about romantic love i want to uh, sort of underline a core theme of these podcasts which really is the reality of the decisive importance of romantic love in human decision making and uh, the um way that uh, people, especially uh, younger people, um, describe or want to put words around the way they intend to make decisions in life, especially decisions about their futures, is so um, lacking in reality often that it, it really makes someone like me who thinks about this a lot and has sort of seen a lot, at least uh, in myself, kind of laugh because what happens with people who fall in love and who find themselves in competition, their relationship, that is, with other important goods and values in their lives is that they misunderstand themselves and then they end up making decisions that... Um, seem to be at cross purposes with what they've said or in a way hypocritical and i want to um use as an example of this uh, the uh imdb uh, that's the internet uh uh, movie database you've all used it imdb um uh 
chat or forum thread discussion of a movie that came out in 1983. Don't worry. Don't get, say, oh gosh, where is he going? There's a method to this, and I hope you'll really like it. I'm smiling as I say those words. There was a movie made directed by John Sayles. I've never seen the whole thing, but I've seen parts of it, and it's just been released in DVD, so I'm living for seeing the whole thing. But I do know about the film. It was made in 1983, and it's called Baby, It's You, and it's kind of a romantic um, uh, story that uh, takes place in the late, mid to late 1960s, 67, 68, right in there, like the summer of 67 and the, the year before all hell broke loose. And um, it uh, there's something happens in it that's very um, uh, real. And the chat rooms, uh, for those who care about this movie, and many people do, anybody who sees it, uh, loves it. And uh, if you're someone like me who sort of lived it, or Mary who lived it, albeit in a different uh, cultural context, a different region of the country, whatever it is, you immediately identify with the issues. And in the movie, without giving it away, but I, you know, this spoiler alert thing, what a joke. I mean, the movie was made in 1983, you know. I love it when you, they're talking about Hamlet and, you know, a spoiler alert, uh, Hamlet uh, is killed together with every main character, except Horatio. Um, at the end of the movie, you know, you, a spoiler alert, you know, well, um, in 1983, uh, the movie ends up somewhat ambivalently, and the thread uh, of the movie, the people commenting on it, uh, are, are all mistaken uh, from real pastoral live experience, except for one of them, and the one person in the thread that makes sense says something so important that it's really worth talking about, and that's why this episode 199 is entitled What Actually Happens. In the movie, two uh, young people who are hopelessly separated by what today would be called class background, but we would say just they're, they both come from completely different backgrounds. She comes from an a middle-class but high-achieving Jewish background in Trenton, and she's at the absolute top of her high school <coughs> class and is accepted at Sarah Lawrence and is absolutely headed for a very uh, uh, high-achieving life in the, the early days of the 70s and early 60s. And, uh, however, she becomes involved with a an Italian almost hood who barely graduates from high school and is an impossibly um, mismatch for her. But they develop a bond, a real bond that turns into love. She, the heroine, decides that she doesn't really love him. And he is just absolutely hooked on her, and he kind of wins her by virtue of great beau geste of uh, romantic. He makes great gestures that are very touching to her, and he really wants her very deeply, not because she represents an unattainable object, but he simply really kind of falls in love with her. And she's much more standoffish, although they do come together, and one thing leads to another, and it couldn't be more mismatched uh, in every way. Um, and she's embarrassed to be seen with him, but he's kind of cool in an odd kind of slightly off kilter way. He's sort of cool. He's played by the actor Victor Spano, and um, the actress Roseanne Arquette plays the um, the heroine. 
And um, then uh, she goes off to Sarah Lawrence, and he doesn't go to college and takes a really awful job in Miami. And they try to sort of keep something going in their freshman year. But what's wonderful about this movie is it does not depict college as some kind of great Nirvana happy experience. She has a terrible time at college because she's all, all of a sudden confronted with a great many other girls her age who are just as gifted. We're all at the top of their class and just as smart and just as high ranking. And she's sort of... Um, She's in the shade uh, because of all these other competitors who, in fact, are better prepared for college than she. And uh, she's also thrown by the guys she meets because she meets a lot of very well-educated, rather confident, preppy guys, the guy who go to Princeton and places like that. And today, you know, they would be the villains, but they're just kind of very confident, rather ironic, preppy-type guys. And there they are, and they look the same way yours truly looked down to the costumers details in 1968, 69, 70. And um, she strikes out with men. She strikes out with her potential girlfriends or contemporaries. She strikes out in class and her great dream to do amateur, to do college theater is completely shot down because she doesn't have what it takes. Plus she's unnerved by the fact that she sort of carries an odd kind of torch for this odd character. Well, he goes up to Sarah Lawrence and drives up and makes a mad dash to try to get her, to try to, he knows she's drifting away in this completely different world and he tries to sort of um, restore or rediscover their relationship and it totally doesn't work. And she doesn't really feel she's in love with him, and she's got other boyfriends, and she sort of sees sex and men in a different form now, or a different way, and she's really lost her ideals, but she's also very bummed out, and she's really kind of a lost person in her freshman year. So it depicts college as a thoroughly disorienting rather than fun or opening new horizons type of experience. She's really at sixes and at sevens, and they have a terrible fight, and then they, uh, she sort of manipulates him. That's not quite the word, but she asks him to be her date for a college dance, which she doesn't have a date for, and she feels awfully you know, bad that she's all alone. She has no date, and he comes. But in the course of the dance, and this is very beautifully directed by John Sayles, it becomes apparent, and it's very short and rather abrupt ending, but not really abrupt. I would say it's, it's beautiful. It becomes apparent to the viewer of the movie, and it was intended this way, I feel certain, that despite all of their differences in every conceivable kind of way, there is a bond of love between them. And mainly, they have shared each other's real humanity. She's really flailing, drowning in college, and he's drowning as a person. He's in a terrible way. And um, he expresses it. They, he, he really expresses his true self in a most remarkable scene they have when they sort of break up. But in expressing their true selves, their real naked, absolute, abject, lost, rather childlike and uh, uh, disturbed uh, what I want to say is um, despairing selves, each of them in his own manner, a kind of bond between them is clearly made that is almost invisible, but it's also made out of um, out of platinum. I mean, it's a, it's a steel. It's a steel bond that you do not see. And so the last scene is they're dancing, and the editor of the movie and the soundtrack does something very, very touching at the end. This movie's just been released. You must see it. And you definitely get the impression, in my opinion, that despite all the, the way they've actually broken up and all their impossible problems as a couple, that they'll probably end up together. And when you read these very rational um, comments about it, oh, the, how could they possibly, you know, she's told him she doesn't love him, there's no future in this, he has to go back to his awful life and go back to his working class world and she's going to try to go forward on her own and make her way at Sarah Lawrence. But that's not what it says at all. You watch it and it's very clear. They've got one thing. 
they've got each other. He says, what matters is not, not college, not career, it's you and me. Well, when he says it, it's, it rings true. And as they are dancing at the end, there is this powerful kind of, we would call it today, counterintuitive sense that they're going to make it together, that they have something. And the comment, um, the commenter said, you know, all of you guys are completely mistaken. This is not how it actually is going at all. They're going to go and get married. She's probably going to drop out of college. They're probably going to get married and they're going to end up living back in Trenton and have four kids. Well, it's very touching. There's a mockingbird line in it, about it, by the way, a very touching line about Jesus Christ that is not irreverent uh, that you've got to hear. She's Jewish and he's Catholic, but he says something that's actually very touching and I think very uh, perceptive and also, for me, makes a difference. But this is a great um, uh, picture because what it actually said, that comment, is that, you know, nobody's seen this movie as it obviously is if you've ever actually been in love. When you're actually in love, especially if you're young and in love, it's the only thing. And in fact, it remains the only thing. I mean, I constantly go back to things in uh, my early relationship with the woman to whom I married that went back, you know, we were very young. I mean, I was a, I was a sophomore in college uh, and uh, she was a couple years older, but uh, basically the same circumstances. And I didn't know what the heck was going on. In fact, I was really going downhill fast in all sorts of ways, although I thought I was going uphill. But in fact, I was going downhill and... You know, you then spend time with each other and then you break up to make up, you know, and then a little later on you find yourself in Boston or wherever it is and you begin to find one another and you begin to talk and all of a sudden you find that you're really, there is a, what the, what's that group, uh, Style Council, a solid bond in my heart. You know, uh, there's a solid bond in my heart. There's a bond which is made usually through intimacy in every sense, but mainly emotional intimacy of actually finding sake actually expressing who you are. I mean, how often do you actually express yourself? I mean, how often, listen, listen, how often do you actually say to somebody what you're really thinking? I mean, you know, the actual fact of the matter, not often. I'd be very surprised if you, if there are not long periods in your life, when you're in your experience, when you actually keep to yourself vital and important feelings and thoughts you're having about important and decisive matters. You keep these to yourself, even holding them back from your nearest and dearest. I see this time and time again. There's some people that keep their deepest feelings and hopes and ideas and interpretations of their lives and, um, away from the person they're most close to for um, years, for months. And, and there's no happy future in that. But um, why you know that this couple, something is going to happen... We're not told because the story ends at the last dance, but something cannot but because something is there. That something is there that is actually more important. And this is the thing I'm trying to say. If you think that your career and your personal ambitions and aspirations, all of which may be legitimate and fine and good, are actually more important than your relationships, and in particular, your chief and singular romantic relationship with whoever it is with whom you are in love or have lost or would like to gain or whatever it is, you're simply not telling the truth to yourself about yourself. Because if you believe that, what you'll suddenly find out is, oh, I made the strangest decision. I decided to, to go to college. Uh, I, I decided to take a job in a place where you are. Or I decided to quit this job. I don't quite know why. I just quit the job somehow so I could move to be with you. But I never could say it because you're not supposed to say that, are you? Are you supposed to say that your, your uh, love life is more important than your career? 
And yet then you find yourself acting in these strange ways. Or, you know, I made a decision the other night to, um, to put myself in a situation where I was going to see him. And um, I moved everything around, moved uh, heaven and earth to put myself in a position where I would actually see him. Now, that's very um, interesting. And uh, all the um, irrational um, recipes for what it is that you ought to see in a person or what the kind of man or the kind of woman, the kind of person whom you ought to be related to, they go completely, you know, what? Out the window, up the ladder to the roof, you know, they go out the window when you actually have that romantic, intimate bond between you and one other person, whoever it may be. And to deny that is it's so ridiculous. There's a, a movie, um, I recommend it, called Three Came Home with Claudette Colbert. I mentioned it once in a cast about a married couple and their son who were imprisoned by the Japanese um, after Singapore uh, and Malaysia were occupied in the Second World War. And it's really a love story. It's about, an, about a man and a woman, how they make remarkable, um, superhuman but successful efforts to stay in touch during uh, the uh, impossible years in which they are um, quarantined and imprisoned in the separate sex camps by the Japanese. And you get the impression that the most important thing by far in life, in fact, that which is most important is not the child, although the child is provided for with total sacrifice by the mother, a total. But the actual thing that keeps you going is the memories of and the future hope of resuming a relationship with her husband, which, by the grace of God, she does. And that actually happened. Her name was Keith, K-E-I-T-H. She wrote a book about it. But um, I think what I'm trying to say is let's keep the first things first. And what we'll find if we don't, you'll start acting in ways that puzzle you. You'll start um, making decisions about where you want to be, what you want to do, uh, and uh, the kind of, quote, dreams, end of quote, that are satisfying to you, which will come apart if they don't factor in what we're talking about here, or will be oddly and strangely um, guided as if by magical strings, by means of a marionette, which is your unconscious or unaware uh, desire to actually connect, to make that magical connection with uh, someone uh, than which there is nothing more significant or important. And in my view, this prefigures and really is the expression in our natural human physical lives of the bond which all created things, all created beings, and all human beings have with the underlying sustaining uh, reality of God to which we will go when we die and from which we have come and with whom we are in profound desire to make connection and this happens so often in the romantic sphere now we're going to hear uh, a very famous group saying the same thing but in a, uh, a very strong way of the vibrations that underlie all this god bless you in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost amen i, I love the colorful clothes you wear and the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a gentle On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm backing up Good vibrations, she's giving me the excitations. Good vibrations, she's giving me the excitations. Good vibrations, she's giving me the excitations.
closer now Softly smile, I know she must be kind Yeah. 